Great Day in Podcast Land. April 17th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Well, I hope you all had a good week. I had a pretty good week other than uh, those dang allergies. Man, it is allergy season out there and I am feeling it. And I don't know about y'all, but at, at the beginning of allergy season, I'm always uh, trying to fight it thinking that my natural body tendency is like, oh, I got this. I could just drink, eat some honey and I don't need no allergy medicine. I'm going to handle this by myself. Uh, no, don't do that. It's a bad move. And my wife laughs at me every year that it happens. So, you know, don't fight it. Go to CVS, go to your local physician, go to the VA, get your get a prescription for allergy meds and, and take care of that trash. Uh, wasn't trash too bad on, uh, on the ratings lately. <laughs> That's a bad way to go. So we are at 62% of our 100 rating and review goal. Uh, a couple a couple of reviews came in this week. West End Al said, what it lacks in polish, it makes for, up for enthusiasm. Thank you, I think. The stories interviews are always interesting despite their formulaic format. Understand. The next review came from Fireman6061. I really liked the old host and the old format. I really like the new format and host. Well, thank you. And Tim thanks you as well. A previous review noted this to be a bit formulaic. True, but not so much now. Content, always interesting, and I'm looking forward to many more installments. Welcome to the show, Tanner. Hope you like the new job. Fireman6061, I do enjoy this job. And to West End Al, I understand about some of the formulaic things about, about this show. So we are actually going to be adding segments to the show, uh, one that is going to be focusing on people that uh, aren't veterans themselves, but have a real deep-seated interest in helping veterans, kind of like uh, those Gary Sinise types out there. Um, also looking at coming up with more benefit-oriented uh, episodes as well. Uh, a couple episodes that are coming up that are pretty exciting. On the April 24th episode of Born the Battle, we're going to have a Marine veteran who was a DEA inspector turned postal inspector. He was he is also a historian for the Marine Corps History Division and he's going to join us and clue us in on some uh, some of the mail scams that are currently targeting veterans and let us know some best practices to help protect ourselves. And on May 1st, we're also going to have Navy SEAL veteran Stephen Hawley. He is the president and CEO of Carry the Load, a nonprofit organization that provides ways to connect Americans to sacrifices made daily by our nation's military, veterans, first responders and their families. He's going to be talking about uh, the partnership this Memorial Day that they have with the VA National Cemetery Administration. And they got a lot of things going on. They got a relay that's over 11,000 miles, of which they're stopping at over 25 of our national cemeteries. Uh, they have a 20-hour Memorial Day march in Dallas, Texas. Uh, and it, the list goes on and on. If you want to get involved or follow the campaign, you can find it or them at carrytheload.org or news.carrytheload.org. You can find their social media handles with Carry the Load. Or follow the campaign with the hashtag, no veteran ever dies. So thank you for the, the feedback. Thank you for the reviews. And as always, you can reach out to me either through the review process on you know iTunes or, or, or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever those reviews are. Or you can reach me at podcast at va.gov directly. And, you know, always like to hear some feedback. Always like to hear... Uh, Always like to hear how the last episode did. Uh, if, if if you heard an episode, and let me know what you liked, let me know what you didn't like. If you had a question about it, 
maybe there, we can do a follow-up uh, on the next episode for that. A couple news releases this week. One is from the National Cemetery Administration. It says, for immediate release, VA acquires land to expand in the Black Hills National Cemetery. The Department of Veterans Affairs National Cemetery Administration announced today, and this was released on April 11th, that they have acquired 181.32 acres of land near Sturgis, South Dakota. You know where the Sturgis, you know where the famous Sturgis uh, bike rally is, for the purpose of expanding the Black Hills National Cemetery. Expanding Black Hills National Cemetery will ensure access to dignified veteran burial options to veterans and their families well into the future, said Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs Randy Reeves. We will continue to establish new national cemeteries while maintaining national cemeteries with the goal of providing 95% of veterans with access to a burial option in a VA national state or tribal veteran cemetery within 75 miles of your home. It goes on and then it says, prior to the expansion, Black Hills National Cemetery consisted of 105.90 acres of land. So this is more than doubling it, 96% of which had already been developed. More than 29,000 veterans, spouses, and eligible family members are interred there. The additional land will serve the project interment needs of veterans in Western South Dakota for the next 100 years after the current Black Hills National Cemetery space is depleted. So it's at 96%. When it gets to 100%, then you got another 100 years. So then it goes on and it talks about the VA, where how many national cemeteries, how many soldiers, lots, and monument sites, and where they're all located. Uh, for more information, you can always go to www.va.gov forward slash burials dash memorials, or by calling VA regional offices toll-free at 1-800-827-1000. That's 1-800-827-1000. And as always, to make burial arrangements at any open VA National Cemetery at the time of need, call the National Cemetery Scheduling Office at 1-800-535-1117. That's 1-800-535-1117. For more information about the Black Hills National Cemetery directly, contact Carrie Corkins at 1-605-347-3830. 3473830 or visit www.cem.va.gov forward slash cem forward slash cems forward slash nchp forward slash blackhills.asp. So this was released within 24 hours of this show being posted. I'm reading this the first for the first time with you. Says for immediate release, VA ensures veterans have same day access to emergency mental health care. As part of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs efforts to provide the best mental health care possible, VA is reminding veterans that it offers all veterans same day access to emergency, that's emergency mental health care, at any VA health care facility across the country. Providing same day, 24 hour access to mental health crisis intervention and support for veterans service members, and their families is our top clinical priority, said VA Secretary Robert Wilkie. It's important that all veterans, their family, and friends know that help is readily and easily available. VA's Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention is the national leader in making high-quality mental health care and suicide prevention resources available to veterans through a full spectrum of outpatient, inpatient, and and telemental health services. Additionally, VA has developed the National Strategy for Preventing Veteran Suicide, and there's a link into the into the news release, which reflects the department's vision for a coordinated effort to prevent suicide among all service members and veterans. 
This strategy maintains the VA's focus on high-risk individuals, high-risk individuals in healthcare settings, while also adopting a broad public approach to suicide prevention. So it goes on and it talks about some statistics, and then it says, Veterans in crisis or those concerned about one should call the Veteran Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Or send a text message to 838255 or chat online at VeteranCrisisLine.net. That's VeteransCrisisLine.net, Veterans with an S, VeteransCrisisLine.net. So if you saw the title of the episode, you know it's a very technology driven episode this week. And it wouldn't be it would and it wouldn't feel right without talking about Vet Tech. Vet Tech is a new five-year pilot program that trains veterans in the skills needed by employers in the high-tech sector. VA is looking for training providers, that's the training providers, to train veterans in computer software, information science, media application, data processing, and computer programming. VA pays program costs to the provider and veterans can receive a housing stipend while in the program. Applications for the first year are open now for training providers. To participate, your facility must have been in operation for at least two years and have successfully provided your high-tech program for at least one year. Veterans need one day, that's only one day of GI Bill entitlement to apply, and the training doesn't count against your entitlement. For more information, go to the GI Bill website at www.benefits.va.gov forward slash GI Bill. That's www.benefits.va.gov forward slash GI Bill and look for Vet Tech at the top of the page. Applications for the veterans, applications for you veterans will open in early summer. All right. So in this week's interview, uh, my microphone wasn't uh, optimal. Uh, However, again, it's not about my microphone. The guest microphone is crystal clear and perfect. He is a great example of a veteran that has found a way to give back to the transitioning veteran. At any given time, there are over 500,000 jobs in the computer industry. Uh, Through some research, uh, Microsoft has discovered that the current education system is producing only 49,000 computer science majors a year. Our guest goal is to fill the gap with the 250,000 service members that are annually exiting the military and joining the workforce. In addition, he has an effort to combat the military spouse 18% unemployment and the 53% underemployment rates. He is Marine Corps veteran Danny Chung, and he is the chief of staff for military affairs at Microsoft. Hope you enjoy the listen. You're here at uh, Fort Meade, Maryland. Um, did you take a trip down memory lane at all, being an old commanding officer here at the yeah, Defense Information? certainly did. Drove by uh, Defense Information School, um, drove by the old barracks. What were you here for today? Yeah, so Microsoft runs several different programs. Uh, the purpose of today was to uh, um, facilitate a Youth Spark program. So Youth Spark is a program, it's a one-day STEM activity that Microsoft's been putting together for the past seven years. And starting last year, um, we began a Youth Spark for military kids. And what that means is that we're bringing this one-day STEM activity to schools, to middle schools that are on or near military installations, specifically tailored for children and military families. 
And the reason we do that is because military families, as you know, as we both know, uh, they're moving constantly. So a typical educational career for a military child, they're moving six to nine times. Yeah. And if you can imagine that that awkward feeling when you go to a new school and, you know, you've got your cafeteria tray, lunch tray and you're wondering, who do I sit with? Yeah. Who are my friends? What do I do? I mean, it's just really tough. So for a military kid to do that six to nine times throughout his or her education, educational career is often, you know, tragic and they don't, and oftentimes they don't have the same resources available to them because they're in remote locations or they're overseas in different countries. So they don't have the same resources as uh, civilian children do. So we're hoping to bring STEM activity to them, specifically tailored for them. And um, for those that aren't uh, in the high tech world, what is STEM? Yeah. So STEM stands for uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Basically, um, things that are related to technology, coding. Um, so some of the stuff that we teach them is uh, we start with the fundamentals like Minecraft, which is really a fun way of learning the basic fundamentals Kids of know what that. coding looks like. Um, we also teach them uh, how sharks swim. And through animation uh, via computers, we teach them what yaw, pitch, and roll look like for a shark. We also teach them how to make prosthetic hands and test it with nothing but scotch tape, copper wires, and a few strings. This is in your one the one day course. This is in a like, one day course. They te you teach them how to make a prosthetic hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah That's amazing. Pretty neat. That's amazing. So before this conversation, uh, trying to when we were trying to lock it down, you said you came back from out of the country. Was out of that? Was that part of your job? It what? was. Okay. It was. So we partner with Hiring Our Heroes, which is a U.S. Chamber Foundation uh, organization that was created back in 2012, 20, yeah, 2012. And we partner with them to help evangelize um, military transition programs. So basically, we've got 250,000 transitioning service members on an annual basis. Um, so just to be clear, we don't recruit military members to leave the military. We're simply helping those who decide, who have already decided to leave the military, of which there's a quarter million every year. Sure. So quarter million every year. Um, so and then you look at 500,000 open IT positions at any given time. And the school systems in America are only producing 49,000 computer science majors a year. Oh, wow. So you do the math. We're never going to reach. Uh, we're never going to reach fulfillment of those open positions. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the veteran population and see if we can provide them some training that will allow them to better on ramp into really meaningful careers in technology. Yeah, because there's a huge gap there. I mean, those, those are that's a that's a huge gap. So you're and the gap's only growing. So as you look at uh, fields like artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, people are forecasting by the year 2022, 2025, which is only, what, three three to five years away, you're looking at 30% of the labor market, 30% of the labor market being AI or machine learning specific. Every time anybody starts talking about AI, it freaks me out. <laughs> freaks me out, too. What is your take on Skynet? <laughs> <laughs> it is inevitable. <laughs> so back to... Um, Moving away from Skynet, back to the military. <laughs> what what made you decide to join the military? Oh, me personally? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So let's go back in time here. Uh, graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. And I do mean that by the skin of my teeth. I don't know how I graduated high school. 
and um, thought uh, didn't get accepted to any colleges. So went to the local community college in Southern California. Um, instead of going to class, I ended up dating one of my professors. And uh, needless to say, it didn't work out very well. So I thought, okay, got to do something with my life. And uh, I went to the local recruiting office and uh, I met this gunnery sergeant who was a record recruiter. His arms were the size of my legs. Uh, and, uh, and that's the only thing I remember about him. And, um, and, and I and I placed one stipulation in front of him and I said, if you can get me anywhere outside of Southern California, the farther, the better. I will sign on the dotted line today. And he slaps me on the back and says, son, we're going to send you to Okinawa. You're going to love it there. I said, great. Signed the papers, went to boot camp in San Diego, 13 of the most grueling weeks of my life, received my orders, and it said El Toro, California. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I was basically sent right back home. So you didn't you didn't go far at all. I did not. I was about thirty miles south of where I'd grown up. Um, worked at uh, the Third Marine Air Wing as a uh, avionics technician for the first five years, and uh, met a really good uh, mentor, Scott Stalder, Staff Sergeant Scott Stalder, who kind of kicked me in the ass and said, "Chung, you need to go get a commission." And I said, "What's a commission?" And he said, "There's programs out here that you can become an officer," and uh, applied for the ROTC scholarship once. Uh, did not get accepted, applied the second time, did not get accepted. And then he said, well, there's a program called MISA, Marine Education Commissioning, uh, Marine Enlisted Commissioning Education Program. Signed up for it and got accepted. So went to Oregon State, three and a half years, worked on the battalion staff while holding a part-time job while taking a full-time course load. Graduated three years later, got a commission as a public affairs officer. Hustling. Yeah. So you went from avionics, was avionics tech to, to public affairs. I did. Was that uh, a personal interest at the time? It wasn't. Um, I'm actually a, quite an introvert. So if you think about what public affairs does, it's quite the opposite. Uh, but it was a field that I, I thought um, that was uh, that had a strong equivalency out in the civilian sector. Yeah. And it was an interest of mine, so I thought I'd pursue it. Uh, you mentioned one staff sergeant. Would you? Would you say he? If I was to ask you, who was your either a your best friend or your greatest mentor? Would you say he was? He was probably my greatest mentor, most pivotal mentor in my career, in my life. Really, he was the one person who uh, really just, like I said, he literally kicked me in the ass. Yeah, and he told me I needed to do this because I was having fun as a lance corporal. Well, sure, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, didn't we all? Um, so you became a public affairs officer and you served for how many years? 21 total. 21 total years. What was the impetus for leaving the service? At the 20 year mark, um, I had basically done everything that I wanted to do. Um, I had served overseas in multiple different capacities on multiple uh, joint staffs, joint operations. Um, highlight of which was commanding the 372nd Army MPAD in Iraq which was a lot of fun. Um, how, how was that? How, what was that like? What was, how was that fun? Well, you think about the resources that are available to you. I mean, we don't even have MPADs in the Marine Corps, as you know, yeah. mobile public affairs detachments. And then to suddenly be given um, all these resources, uh, several Humvees with um, 
what was the system they called the video editing system? I forget what it was called. Uh, Avid. Avid. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of Avid systems. Yeah, the complete Avid system in there. It had a portable Scotty uh, briefcase with a portable laptop with a video camera, which today you can do on your iPhone. But <laughs> you know, back then there was none of that. So to have that and to have an entire uh, platoon plus of journalists and videographers and reporter combat correspondents um, and to be put into a combat operation was just the highlight of my career. Sure. So towards the end, you became uh, the, the commanding officer at Dinfos and that's, and that's when I first met you. Uh, you were our commanding officer, but it was, that was your final, that was your final duty station? That was, that was my twilight tour. Uh, last three years right here at Fort Meade at the Defense Information School. Uh, first year as the first year and a half, I should say, as a commanding officer for the Marine Detachment. And then uh, the remaining year and a half as a professor uh, teaching the public affairs leadership course. Oh, so you 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 left that that build of as the CEO of the detachment and actually taught. I did, I did. I actually taught throughout, even as the CEO. I would go over and teach as an adjunct, as they called it. Um, I have a passion for teaching. I love teaching. I love mentoring. I love molding, you know, young Marines, and um, I, I just really enjoyed it. Uh huh. Um, is that how or why or is that how you found yourself in your position now? It's actually um, not. It's actually quite a strange story. Um, I thought at the age of 40 or I guess I was 41 by then, I thought I was most marketable. And um, the Marine Corps was dangling the next promotion in front of me. Um, it would incur a five-year obligation duty duty uh, station of my choice. Um, so I thought about it. And then if you think about what happened in 2008 with the Great Recession, unemployment rate, I mean, this was all happening in, in real time for me during my transition. Um, so by 2010, when I had officially left the Marine Corps, yeah. the unemployment rate for veterans was somewhere around 26%. Uh, the unemployment rate for civilians, I believe, was in the teens as well. So it wasn't a good time to get out. Yeah. And um, like a knucklehead, I decided, yeah, I was going to drop papers and get out anyway. And I thought I, I really could. Like I said, there's such an equivalency to public affairs out in the civilian sector. Sure. And I was fortunate. I uh, got a pretty sweet gig down in uh, D.C. managing media relations for financial firms like Schwab, uh, mutual fund companies out of Texas um, were some of my clients. And that was a lot of fun. Um and then got into government contracting for a couple of years, um, then went to Southern California Edison, the electric utility company in Southern California, running their crisis communications desk. And then one day I got a call from Microsoft and I thought- Like it, out of the blue? Like out of the blue. Like I was in a crisis mode, the California Public Utility Commission breathing down on my neck. And this young lady from Microsoft calls me and um, she just started blabbering about something, something. And I thought she was trying to sell me software. She calls back about five, ten minutes later and she says, Mr. Chung, we'd just like to interview you. I said, interview me for what? She says, well, we have an opportunity on the crisis communications desk and uh, we'd love we think you'd be a great fit. So did the phone interview. Got invited back for an in-person interview. My wife was dead set against it. Oh, really? Why is yeah, that? Because we're living in California. We had a beautiful house. Uh, you know, life was good. She didn't, want any, she didn't want any part of the Seattle rain. Well, not so much the rain, but 
just the fact that we had been moving so often, even after I had left the Marine Corps, was kind of getting to her when she thought we could plant some roots. And I told her, no, nah, I'll just go up there for a Friday. I'll spend the Saturday. I'll visit my cousin who's at Joint Base Lewis McCord and I'll be back. They're probably not going to hire me. Um, full day of interviews on Friday before I even got back to the hotel, I had an offer in hand and, um, it was a pretty sweet offer. So we decided to move from crisis communications about a year into that gig. Uh, this position that I'm in now as the chief of staff for military affairs opened up Okay, and I jumped on that. So, and what we do at military affairs at Microsoft is we host our, um, we run programs for transitioning service members. That's great. Mentions, let me know what are some of the, what are some of the programs that you have. I, I've seen MISA. You talk about STEM with uh, kids in school here at military bases. What are some of the pro- other programs that, that Microsoft does? Yeah, so about five years ago, we we're looking at the high unemployment rate for veterans. We we're looking at the uh, you know the, the hundreds of thousands of open tech positions, and we thought, okay, there's a formula here. How are we going to crack this? And we developed an 18 week academy called Microsoft Software and Systems Academy. And what we do is we allow the service member to sit in this 18-week course during the last six months of their service time. So, Tanner, if you've got six months left as a Marine, instead of wearing the BDUs and combat boots, your commander can authorize you to sit in the classroom and prepare for your transition. And during the 18 weeks, we not only teach you the technology fundamentals in order to succeed in the tech industry. But we also teach you the corporate skills, the soft skills, how to interview, how to write your resume, how to dress for an, uh, for an interview, how to negotiate your salary once you get an offer, and how to make that transition successful. So it's, a, it's like a TAPS class on steroids, focused on the high tech sector. It is, it is. And is that a relationship that you have with the military, with each branch of the service that they can yeah, so not to get too much into the weeds, but sure. yeah, we did have to form, formulate a MOU with each of the service branches. And I got to tell you, the Army was in the lead. Army was all over it. Um, Installation Management Command uh, gave us a blanket authorization for all their bases. So they were really in the lead. So JBLM, Joint Base Lewis McCord, was the first place that really kicked it off. And then the Marines followed suit very closely. So we've got programs at Oceanside, Camp Pendleton, Lejeune, Quantico. Uh, other Army installations, Campbell, Benning, Bragg. Um, we're also going to open up Schofield, Schofield Barracks in Hawaii on May 30th. So that's when the ribbon cutting is. So from coast to coast, including Hawaii, we've got 15 locations. And again, the service member can get authorization to take this course while they're in the military still. Okay. So what that means is, is this like in their off time or is this like no, full this time, is during eight the day, hours, full time? Full time. Yeah, like 8 o'clock I, to 4 p.m. And they can find this at the education centers? They can find information at the education center. They can find information at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, who's our educational partner, or St. Martin's University for the state of Washington. Okay. The easiest way to do it is just go to military.microsoft.com, and we've got the MSSA program there. We also run the MSTA, which is the Military Spouse Technology Academy. We just piloted that last year. We graduated all 19 students, yeah. uh, 18 female, one male military spouse. Uh, very similar to MSSA, but it's specifically tailored for the needs of a military spouse. So one who typically has to care for the children if they have children. So we instead of starting the program at 8 a.m., we start at 9. So they have time to drop the kiddos off at daycares. They, we also end a little bit earlier at 3 o'clock so that they have time to pick them up. 
uh, we give them days off when their service members have days off so that they can uh, maximize their family time. And the whole program runs 22 weeks. And uh, we piloted that just outside of JBLM. And we're hoping to um, expand that. Wow. Um, what about for those that aren't on base? Do you have, are you, have you guys developed anything for, for veterans that have been out for, I say, three to five years or something that's been out for 20 years, the Vietnam veteran that wants to get a technical, you know? No, actually, we, we have. Because one of the things that we're working on uh, outside of these programs is the reskilling uh, of the American workforce. So if you if you're in my generation and um, you, you, like long hauling, long hauling is going to go away in the next five years with automated cars or automated trucks or perhaps. Yeah. But what's strange about that is uh, it's strange you brought that up because uh, the trucking industry is in desperate need of student uh, drivers. OK. And uh, like there's a program out there called Troops to Transport or Troops to Trucks. Troops to transport, I think. And uh, they'll put you through a four or six week course and they'll pay you and they'll give you housing. They they run a tremendous program and uh, I think starting salary somewhere around sixty thousand dollars. They'll get you started right away. Wow! And this isn't the long haul. This isn't from like L.A. to New York City. Okay. These are local, so you're home with your family. Oh wow! So just to be clear, MSSA is just but one career skills program out of a whole list. Uh, troops to transport is another one. Um, um, you know, there, there's just a whole bevy of them. We do open the programs up for uh, veterans, honorably discharged veterans, on a space available basis. So our classes typically range anywhere from about a dozen students up to about 25, depending on location, depending on classroom size. But if there's space available, veterans can and often do uh, attend our course. That's the MSA course? The yeah. MSSA course. Again, 15 locations, coast to coast. Uh, we've put through about 1,300 students so far, 95. 3% success rate, uh, career employment, making on average anywhere from seventy-five dollars to $95,000. That's great. And these are companies like Microsoft. I mean, we hire 25% of our graduates. Facebook, Google, HP, Amazon. They're all looking at this course. They're all taking students from our course. And we don't charge anybody a dime. You don't charge anybody a dime? We don't. Microsoft does not generate a single dime of profit. So they're looking to hire some people and they're looking to put veterans in the, in, into the industry. So this MSSA course isn't a GI Bill thing. This isn't a... So it's not 100% free. Uh, Microsoft doesn't charge a dime. There is a tuition fee of about 4000 to $5,000 that goes directly to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University or St. Martin's. Okay. And it's because they offer 18 accredited hours out of this program. So you do get 18 accredited hours and the four, four to $5,000 goes directly to that. So when I say 93% are fully empl uh, employed, the remaining percentage, a large portion of the remaining percentage uh, are students who are continue to pursue their computer science degree. Okay. All right. And it is covered by GI Bill if you choose to uh, use the GI Bill. In this role at Microsoft, or, uh, since you've transitioned, what is one thing that you learned in service that you continue to use today? That people matter. Ultimately, it's not the job. It's not the numbers. It's not the strategic goal or your vision or mission. But it's about the people along the way. And that's what's so fulfilling about this job is that every day I meet people who go through these programs or whose kids are going through our STEM activity camps and we're making a tangible difference in their lives. When you think about the veteran community and all they've done to serve our nation, it is incredible the sacrifice that they've made, that we've made. 
And to think that the unemployment rate is so incredibly high after they leave the military, or was, and now it's very low. But, I mean, when you talk about close to 20% unemployment rate, and by the way, the military spouse community, they're still facing a 30% unemployment rate right now. To this day. To this day, 30%. And those who are employed, over 50% are underemployed. So you've got people with advanced degrees, military spouses with advanced degrees, certifications up the wall. Yeah, we've all we've all met those spouses yeah. that are like they're incredible. Yeah, and they're and they're, they're sitting behind a cash register at Walmart or serving coffee at a, as a barista. And there's nothing wrong with those jobs. What I'm saying is that it's not their constant. level yeah. of uh, expertise, experience, and credentials are not uh, commensurate with those jobs. Yeah, because they're in Fayetteville or they're in Jacksonville and. Those jobs just aren't there. Exactly. So, or, or they're moving in two to three years, so businesses are uh, less willing to give them an opportunity, mm-hmm. which is also a crime. Which it's a crime. When you think about the new landscape today, millennials are jumping jobs every two to three years anyway. How is that different from what military spouses have to? Sure. A couple episodes ago, I talked to the military relations manager at Coke Industries, uh, John Buckley, and you can find that episode in the archives. Uh, he talked about the internal part of Coke, and once they hire a military veteran on, uh, there is training not only for that veteran to assimilate into the civilian world. There's also there's also training within that company on this is a veteran. This is how, this is some things that you have to consider when hiring one. Is is Microsoft? doing something similar one of the things that we do during the 18 weeks is in addition to the technical instructions in addition to the corporate skills is we assign them a mentor a veteran mentor who's already working at microsoft okay so on a weekly basis they check in it's a safe space where they can ask some questions the mentor can check in on the student make sure that he or she is progressing along and uh, on the path to success and that relationship is formed over 18 weeks so as you can imagine they get to know each other pretty well sure If they decide to get hired at Microsoft, if they accept an offer from Microsoft and they come in and join our ranks, we keep that relationship intact for the next 12 months. It's optional for them, obviously. We don't force it upon them because we don't want to force (laughs) that relationship. I really like this, Sergeant. Yeah, yeah. guess what? You're stuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the military. It's Microsoft. We're trying to be friendlier. Sure, sure. Um, So if they're both willing, they can continue this mentorship relationship for the next 12 months. And what we found is that that really helps them onboard into the company and assimilate and learn the culture. That's awesome. The other thing we do is we have an ERG, an employee resource group. And I remember my first day at Microsoft when um, I got introduced to the ERG via email. And my inbox was just getting flooded from people I didn't know from all over the world who were veterans working at Microsoft, welcoming me on board, asking if I needed help in doing this or that. Um, I remember there was a dozen of them who gave me tips on how to, um, what I should do with my, what is it, the health savings account and how to navigate that whole thing. And they were tremendously helpful in uh, how I onboarded onto Microsoft. So we've got those programs in place. We, we talk, we've talked, you and I have talked extensively about transition. You, you mentioned that, uh, um, it's been, you've been out for nine years and you're still transitioning. Yeah. People ask me how my transition went and I tell them I'm still going through it, man. It's, uh, you know, I, I miss it. I miss it. 
It's been almost a decade and I still miss it. So when I'm walking through the airport, I see, I see a Marine in uniform or even a soldier or any service branch and I make a beeline for them and just ask them, Hey, how's it going? You know, what's going on? Uh, where are you headed to? And, uh, one of my, uh, one of the things I enjoy doing is, um, I'm also, I also sit on the, um, USO, uh, board. Uh, so one of the things I really enjoy like doing. Like the USO board? Like, yeah. Like big board USO? For Pacific Northwest. Okay. For Pacific Northwest. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, so one of the things I enjoy doing is stopping by the USO at every airport. I make it a mission to stop by. And I just love sitting there and just chatting up some of the service members. They probably think I'm weird for talking to them, but um, nah. it's pretty cool. I can I can sympathize, though, because I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm the same way. But it's I, I think once... If you enjoy mentoring, you're still you're still going to try to mentor those those same those same that same age group, you know. I would call it less mentoring and more therapy for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you're kind of in a quasi private, quasi nonprofit, almost. You know, uh, is there a true nonprofit in the veteran space right now that is exciting you, or or a veteran? Is there somebody? Is there a nonprofit out there that you, you you're looking at? Like they're they're doing really good stuff. Yeah, there's. Um, uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, there's forty nine thousand veteran support organizations out there. Forty nine thousand. That's a lot. <laughs> and that that is a that is a lot. Um, and I remember when I got out in 2010, there was nothing. I mean, it was a desolate desert. Um, there were there was no hiring our heroes. There was no veteran support organization. So today you've got um, all these organizations, and just to name a few uh, that really um, that are on the top of my list is uh, I got to say hiring our heroes, the U.S. Chamber Foundation. They've really been paving the way in uh, getting the word out and helping service members get on LinkedIn and you know get their resumes together and uh, connect with companies through their fellowship programs. Connect with companies through programs like the ones that Microsoft um, runs. Other organizations uh, include Team Red, White, and Blue, yep. um, nationwide running you know, organization that really just, they are the essence of what community means. You know, so when we leave the military, I'm telling you right now, I miss it. But to go back and put my team red, white and blue uh, shirt on and to go back and go on a short run with these guys and gals and share a beer after the run. I mean, that 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 is the physical manifestation of what community means. Mm hmm. And then you've got other organizations like Blue Star Family that are doing all the grunt work behind the scenes for the military spouse community. Um, they're the ones who are doing the surveys. They're the ones who are pushing the uh, policies. They're the ones who are advocating on behalf of the military spouses worldwide. Uh, so those are the three that just really at the top of my mind. Gotcha. Yeah, I think Tim, before he left, he interviewed a lot of Team Red, White and Blue members for our listeners if, if you want to learn more about team red white and blue make sure you to check out it in our archives danny is there something that i haven't asked that you'd like to add uh something that uh, i'm not even thinking about yeah right now i think um the top of my priority is really the military spouse piece and it's not a it's not a philanthropic effort it's not a feel-good effort uh, but it's a national security effort and what I mean by that is that um, the research that I've personally done uh, and the research that Blue Star Families has conducted, the research that Hiring Our Heroes has conducted for the military spouse community has indicated that because the quality of life is diminishing, 
and because they can't, they're they're unable to uh, maintain a dual income. Military families are less likely to remain in the military for a career. And if you think about our all volunteer force and you think about the work that they're doing right now and the high operational tempo that they've got already. And then you carry that timeline out three to five years into the future and you think about the difficulties and the challenges our fam military families are having. Um, those numbers are going to continue to uh, dwindle. And I firmly believe that that's a national security issue. And unless we get behind the military spouse community somehow to bring their unemployment numbers down, to provide them opportunities for meaningful long-term careers, that we're going to continue to face this problem. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Even the ad is uh, career-oriented this week. I wanna thank Danny for coming on the show and giving us his time and telling us what the Microsoft Software and Systems Academy is and where we can find it. And telling us what the MSTA, the Microsoft Military Spouse Technology Academy is and where we can find that as well. Really excited to see where those are both going. Uh, if you wanna find more about these programs, you can always, like Danny said, you can find them at military.microsoft.com. And hopefully, if this and if this helps one person get signed up to it and get trained and start in the industry, I'll count this episode a success. And if you have any questions about this episode, you can always email this show at podcast at va.gov, and we will do our best to point you in the right direction. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Richard Dick Cole. Four months after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, 80 Army Air Corps members volunteered for a top-secret mission to bomb targets in Japan. Lieutenant Colonel James Jimmy Doolittle was the famed air racer, test pilot, and aeronautical engineer, and he was tapped to lead that group. His co-pilot was then 26-year-old Lieutenant Richard E., otherwise known as Dick Cole. It was a risky mission that took place on April 18, 1942. The Doolittle raid marked the first time that bombers attempted to take off from a carrier. The first carrier that they took off from was the USS Hornet. And as the first plane to take off, Dick and Doolittle's plane had the least amount of runway. However, they made it. And after bombing Tokyo, Dick and Doolittle's B-25 caught a tailwind that helped the crew make it to China because they didn't have enough gas. He was rescued by Chinese patriots who helped him and other raiders make it home. As of this week, Dick was the last member of the Doolittle raid. Sadly, Dick passed away on Tuesday, April 9th, 2019 at the age of 103. We honor your service, Dick. That's it for this episode of the show. As always, we are on social media. We are on uh, the Vantage Point website at blogs.va.gov, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. You can always find us on any social media at any given day with that blue check mark. 
Again, thank you very much for listening. I really hope Transitioning Veterans got something out of this episode. And if you did, let us know at podcast.va.gov. I will see you next week.